Star Wars Action News is brought to you in part by Brian's Toys. At Brian'sToys.com, you can find Star Wars toys and collectibles from 1977 to the present. Brian's Toys has it all, from vintage toys and action figures right up to the latest releases. And when checking out, be sure to say you were referred to Brian's Toys by Star Wars Action News. So go check out the world's largest selection of Star Wars toys at Brian'sToys.com. Listening to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and updates, helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Be sure to check out our website at SWActionNews.com, where you can see photos of the items discussed, chat with other Star Wars Action News listeners, and much more, including information on how you can be part of the show. Welcome to another episode of Star Wars Action News. I'm Marjorie. I'm Arnie, and I stand corrected, which is not entirely unusual, but I wanted to go back to something we were talking about last week, which was the sideshow Han Solo and Carbonite. When last we left our hero, he was frozen in Carbonite, unlit, unhappy, and possibly about to be shipped back. Well, after we recorded last episode, I went downstairs to try to take more pictures of Mr. Solo in Carbonite. And lo and behold, it worked. It lit up finally, without batteries. So he got a stay of execution. He did. I want to say that in a bright lit room, like the one we record in, his lights were very lackluster. But when I got him down to the photo studio, and you probably saw these pictures on our enhanced podcast last week or on our website, SWActionNews.com, he looks damn good in low light. The... Base, I'm still not a fan of the base only coming up a quarter of the way to Han, but the lights in the floor of it that shine up on him look really good. The lights on the side are just subtle enough that they look really good. The glow on him, I'm going to give him credit for being able to pull off a translucent plastic that allows the light to show through, that when the light is off, looks completely solid. I stand by everything I said about the sculpt. It still is a Han and Carbonite. There's nothing that really makes it pop other than the lighting. I can't say that it's any better than their 12-inch one, which is only a few inches shorter, and the 12-inch one has the better wall display. But after getting it down in the dark room, I decided, yeah, I'm going to keep this. It moved above a even hesitation. I wish the sculpt had been a bit more detailed. I wish the panels on the sides were a bit more detailed. But what are you going to do? Plus, I'm a haunted carbonite collector. I figured that would weigh into it somehow, but I'm kind of glad you kept it. It is kind of cool in theory. I think you're just going to have to not store the batteries in it for leaking problems. Well, I don't even need the batteries. Yeah. What I have to do is just work it a bit. I mean, it really does have to get right up in there in order for that switch to be hit that activates the lights. And like I said last week, there are people talking online. You can tape just a little bit of cardboard in it. But I think in the theater room we're building, with a lot of help, thanks to Dan DiCarlo of AudioVision Incorporated up in Michigan, michigancustomhometheater.com, I think this is going to be a great thing because when the lights are out and you're watching a movie, the little bit of light on Han is going to be small enough that it won't be obtrusive, but cool enough that 
people who come in are going to be wowed. Yeah, I think the lights, once you got them working, was decent. I always think lights are a gimmick anyway. I mean, if I look at the key piece in my collection that lights up, it's the Master Replica's Millennium Falcon. And I love the lights on it. I love the look it gives. I love how they put the little light bulb behind the cockpit that shows through and makes it look like the cockpit from Empire. But how often did I turn that on, really? Five, six times? Yeah, we don't really turn that on much. People come over, I go... Hey, it lights up! Yeah, people are like, wow, that's a really good Falcon. And I'm like, ah, but the piece de resistance! Yes, I turn French when people come and visit my collection. I turn oddly Swedish. It's kind of weird. Yeah, that's how... And I flip on the lights, and everybody goes, ooh! And then I flip the lights back off. And then we move on. Yeah. So I did want to update people on that as... I saw other people I talked out of, and I've got to say, people who decided not to buy it, I completely see your rationale. I really was on the fence when the electronics weren't working. You just don't want disappointment when you're spending that much money. No, you don't. But on to happier topics, like a party. Yeah, we're having a party again with Yak Face at Celebration 6. It is going to be Thursday, August 23rd. At 7.30 at night, and it is going to be at the same location at the Embassy Suites Hotel on International Drive. It's going to be a great time. We've got an exclusive t-shirt that you're only going to be able to get at the party. There's going to be food, fun. Prizes. We're starting to line up the prizes. Have the door prizes like we had last time. Kids who come, we always have special little play packs for the kids. Should be a good time, and we are working other things out, so... Come, there's food, there's music, there's friends. I I heard a rumor that one of our staff members is a DJ, and it's not you. That is correct. So, maybe we'll reveal who the DJ is later on. But tickets are going really fast for this. If you want your tickets, we are limiting it so that we do not overcrowd. Head to yakface.com or swactionnews.com, click the banner. It'll take you to the order form, and you can place your reservation for tickets. They will not be sold at the door. You do have to place your order in advance, and once they're sold, they're sold. And we do that so you can be sure to get the T-shirt in the size you need. And yeah. so we knew, have an idea how many people are coming. And speaking of Celebration 6, news from C6 continues to trickle out. I'm sure pretty soon the dams are going to open and we're just going to be flooded with information. But right now, it's sounding really exciting. And one of the things that Marjorie and I, we've talked about this on the show before when we were at Celebration 4 and we were at Celebration 5, something that always impresses us is the diorama workshops that they've had run by Frank DiOrio, who most of you probably know from yumyumsuniverse.com. Which has undergone a new redesign on his website. It's dioramaworkshop.com. And Frank sat down with us to talk about how you'd be able to help kids have fun at Celebration this August even if you're not going. We are here with Frank DiOrio of DioramaWorkshop.com, formerly Nub Nub. Nub Nub, actually. Nub Nub. That's one of the reasons I like the change is because no one could ever pronounce that. You know, everyone pronounces it differently. I guess the main problem, which in a sense was that I, it was actually a typo in the first place. The original reference to the idea of that was when Princess Leia meets Wicket and he goes, yep, yep. Yep, yep. And I always laughed at that sound. And then I would rewind the DVD and say, how do you spell that? And obviously, three years or four years after I created the site, I learned that it was yub yub that he was saying and not nyub nyub. And some people thought it was nayub nayub or, or they thought it was the co-pilot there from, um, with Lando, nyen, nyen num, num, nyen. Me num. 
Ninnam. Uh, that's how I pronounce it anyway. Yeah, they would get it confused with that. So now it's easier to say Frank than Nyeb Nyeb. <laughs> so Frank, you've been involved with several previous celebrations. So for listeners who aren't familiar with you, your website, or what you've done in celebration, why don't you tell them like what you did, what we first met you in person at C4, at what you've done at these previous celebrations? Oh, okay. Well, we started uh, doing this uh, these diorama adventures in 2002 in Indianapolis. That was our first one. And um, the one you were talking about was the Celebration 4, I believe, in uh, L.A. That was the Ewok landscaping, which everyone built trees and the Ewok forest. That was one of our biggest ones to date. The C3 was uh, Death Star, I think people were building. And then after that, uh, last year, I always say last year, but it's been two years now, hasn't it? At Celebration 5, we did Echo Base. I actually created a page for people who uh, are not familiar with the Diorama Workshops of Celebration on my dioramaworkshop.com website. If you go at the gallery menu, there's a, a, fl- a fly-down menu that... Uh, says Celebration 6. If you click Celebration 6 in gallery, you will see a 10-year history of all of the pictures that we've done for the workshops, and it'll give you an idea of the craziness that the people do in just three to four days' worth of time. That's great. So, Frank, at these previous celebrations where you've done these, the people who built them, were they all expert customizers before they ever walked into Celebration? Oh, not at all. Like, um... You had some people who had never even done arts and craft before, and you had some people that would come, you know, some parents with their kids who were five years old. That's what the beauty of it is, is that you're kind of, our idea is always to use materials, and you've seen this in the past, having come to visit us. I try to use materials when I design the spaces that you can actually find in stores in your own city and that it's, you could like recreate at home after the show. And it's, you know, for all skill levels, I'm not trying to make it look the most expert and, you know, have only people, you know, who did like 10 years of uh, model building when they were like kids, you know, to be able to participate because that would take away all of the fun. So if you're not as good as the next person, well, you know, it'll just motivate you that, you know, that the next one that you make, you'll get a bit, bit, a bit better and then you'll get better and better. And it's just a question of igniting the fun of doing diorama workshop, you know, and the fun thing about the convention also that you've seen is that with the, because all the people mingle within the area. So if you have different skill levels, you're actually not shy or embarrassed to talk to the person next to you to ask for tips, or you'll say, you'll see someone doing something and you'll say, Oh, I never thought of that. And you, they kind of like, you know, work off each other. Now, last time in celebration, you did this massive Hoth diorama, and I built my own Wampa Cave one time and sustained a severe ankle injury. Have you ever had any major injuries at your at any of the previous Celebrations diorama workshops? Okay, well, before I answer that, I have to know how someone would break an ankle doing a diorama. I would understand your finger cutting or you break your wrist or something, but like an ankle, like uh, I don't quite understand how you would do that. Yes. And his wampa wasn't even that good. The wampa cave was pretty bad, actually. <laughs> well, he blame it on the foot, I guess. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. But I, I have to, you know, I don't know if talking about this is going to jinx things for the Celebration 6, but I have to knock on wood. See, I have a table here. 
We have not have had any injuries in the past celebrations. Except, well, actually, there was one where Jamie, Jamie Fallis, who's also known as Siloff on uh, uh, Great Customizer, he's been with me since Celebration 2. I think at Celebration 3, he was preparing foam core for the Death Star, and he almost sliced his finger off with an X-Acto knife. Ooh. But he was, uh, he was part of the crew, so it doesn't really count. But uh, <laughs> uh, we did put some band-aids and he, I don't remember, was he rushed to the hospital or not? I don't think so. We'll have to ask him at the convention in August. But no, uh, luckily we never had any really serious injuries. No one's ever like really cut themselves or burnt themselves or anything like that. So since this year we're working with plaster, and paint mostly, I think that the risk level is pretty low. <laughs> Unless someone eats the plaster, which could cause problems. <laughs> <laughs> so what can you tell us about what your involvement is with Celebration 6? Well, Celebration 6, uh, we decided because it's our 10th year doing this with Lucasfilm, we decided that it would be a perfect opportunity to return to our roots, kind of, if you want to say it that way. And since the very first convention was Moss um, Eisley, we decided to do a return to Tatooine theme. And this time, instead of just doing Moss Eisley, we're going to be doing the entire planet from the prequel trilogies and the original trilogies. Now, what we're going to be building in that, I can't yet say. I have to wait a couple of more days until Lucasfilm does the official announcement. But... It's, I can tell you that it's going to be our biggest diorama workshop ever. We have more than 400 feet of tables that will be diorama displays. Now, I'm not talking about the space where people will be building. This is 400 feet of pure diorama gold. Wow, that is huge. That is enormous. Yeah, it's, it's stressing me out, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and you said that's bigger than what we saw at the last one with Hoth? At Hoth? Uh, I think it was maybe about 150 feet or 200 feet maximum. So the floor space is one and a half times what we had for construction at Hoth. And it's about double the size of the actual finished diorama that's going to be created. Wow, that's huge. Yeah, I mean, I remember just walking around your Hoth one and trying to take so many pictures on the last day when it was completely built. I probably took a hundred pictures or more that day, plus the pictures I took as you were building it. And there was just so much there that to have twice as much ground space is just uh, unfathomable. It's scary, isn't it? <laughs> the thing, though, with Hoth was that we had the, you know, you had obviously on one side the At-Ats attacking with the trenches, you know, which was kind of the exterior of the Echo Base. And then you had a little place where people could walk. And then we had another big chunk of tables where you had the interior of Echo Base. And those were basically, I guess, like two sort of like specific areas, you know. So it was, it did have a lot of like photo ops and stuff. And it was cool to see in the scale but what's cool about Tatooine is because, well, without going into too many specifics, but because it's the two trilogies and it's like the entire planet, you, people are, you're going to be able to like have a lot more options of what to build. And when people are coming to take photos, you're going to have like so many opportunities to like revisit the, you know, the scenes from the films and stuff. Now, that is so much space, so much of Tatooine. How do you get 
all of the materials and things you need in order for people to build this. The way it works, which is really cool, is that Lucasfilm and Reed, they pay for all of the materials that are needed to do the construction of the diorama workshop. So we don't have to have the people come and pay for the plaster or the paint or different things like that. Now, Hasbro, on their part, which is cool, is that they give us a chunk uh, from their warehouses of a certain amount of figures that we can use to populate um, the workshop. And then, obviously, on the Sunday, which is the last day, when the people take home their uh, creations as a souvenir, they get to keep one of the figures also as a as a present. Now, because of the size of the diorama this year, and we've had it also donations in the past, but this year more than ever, because of the 400 feet, we're really hoping that uh, fans who have older figures or spare figures or double figures, we created an action figure fund, and uh, we're hoping that people will be able to donate those figures to help populate the diorama because as everyone knows as cool as a diorama is if the buildings look the same as the movie said and everything if it's like a ghost town it doesn't look as cool as when you put the hasbro figures inside it and with 400 feet of table space it's going to take a lot of figures and we're hoping our goal is 2,000 figures i don't know if we'll reach that but obviously the closer we have to 2,000 the more the diorama will look like the film. What kind of things do you need to have people send? Well, basically, because we're going to be doing Tatooine, we need as many uh, old or spare Tatooine figures that the people have. We're trying to... Our goal is 2,000 figures. So if you have Rebel Pilots or Anakin, Ben Kenobi, uh, Jedis, R2 units, all droids, basically... Uh, Cantina and Jabba aliens, Wookiees, Sand Troopers, let's see, Jawas, uh, Greedos, well, that would be an alien, wouldn't it? Then Banthas, Dubaks, uh, Rontos, uh, Jabbas, uh, Swoops, Landspeeders, Skiffs. You could, I guess you could even like send Ewoks and Ugnots, you know, they, they could be on holiday visiting. <laughs> Heck, they added Dugs in the new Return of the Jedi Blu-ray, so why not? Yes, you never know. Well, you know, they have to go on Star Tours. They were on vacation, or they did visit those planets, I believe, you know. So basically, anything that you think would go on Tatooine and fit within those planets, then, you know, it would be great for people to... There, well, there's two ways. that Either if you're coming to Celebration 6, obviously you could save on shipping and then just do like people did at Celebration 5 and just bring us your box of toys at the workshop and then we'll just take them from the box and put them on display. And if you're not coming, then uh, uh, we created a storage in Florida at one of our friends who works for Disney and his name is Philip Kelly, and you could send um, the figures at the Diorama Workshop Fund, care of Philip Kelly, 3923 Promenade Square Drive, apartment 4214 in Orlando, Florida, and the zip over there is 32837 USA, obviously, and make sure to mail it before August 19th because you'd hate to have your figures arrive after the convention is over, obviously. And we're going to go on setup day at Philip's house and we're going to take all the boxes and we're going to bring them to the convention center. And then we're going to be setting up on the Wednesday with all of the donations. And then obviously what we were thinking of this year is that 
If people don't have figures but would like to uh, give a donation with PayPal, uh, with the technology that's available today, we created a specific uh, account for the celebration at PayPal, and people could send donations to CVIAFF. That stands for Celebration 6 Action Figure Fund. So CVIAFF at dioramaworkshop.com. And then you just click Send Money, enter that uh, into the Send To, and then... Uh, Give the donation that you can. We're going to be buying um, figures on eBay with the, those funds. And we're going to be giving out every single figure that we purchase. We're going to be giving it to the kids on the Sunday. So we're not keeping anything for ourselves. It's all for the kids. And I don't want people to be scared that uh, we're putting it in our pocket or going to buy uh, figures for our own dioramas at home or anything like that. And I know that... From experience going to these cons and things, you can often find this type of figure loose for the modern stuff for a dollar a figure. And so I want to put the call out to our listeners who I know go to these cons that are all over the place. If you're at a con, think about helping out. This is a great cause. And Frank, you don't need complete figures with all accessories spent on card, right? No, 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 no. That's the great part. You know, it's like you say, you could even go on eBay and we don't need the newest figures. As long as it's a Tatooine figure, you could sometimes find bundles on eBay, $5 for 10 figures or something like this. And don't, please don't send us like new carded figures because all the figures, all the toys that we're, we need is for the display. So we're going to have to open all the cards anyway. So we don't need the newest version. We don't need, even if you don't have the accessory that came with it, you know, if it's a Jedi and he lost his lightsaber, it doesn't matter. He could be like walking around, you know, or visiting, you know, one of the restaurants or one of the shops or whatnot, you know. So you have a really good point there where, you know, it can be like an old vintage or if you go to a convention or a rummage sale or garage sale and you find like even if they're scruffy looking or whatever it doesn't really matter we just want to have like quantity you know so that it'll look like a real streets of moss Eisley or moss espa really come to life you know is there any specific era that they need to focus on or avoid for example the old republic video game went to tatooine there are some old republic figures would those be acceptable I think so. I think it's like, even if some people, you know, obviously if everyone sends just like a, a Luke, you can't, it'll look kind of silly with like, you know, you know, 200 Lukes walking around. So if there's a variety from, you know, expanded universe or the comic book series and stuff, it'll be actually more fun for the people coming and taking pictures of the finished diorama because they'll say like, Oh, look at that figure, you know, and we're even, you know, without sounding, I know some people see this as like scandalous, but you know, you could even send like an ET figure or something and then people will say, Oh, look, there's ET, you know? And so it's just a question of think of what would be like a fun photo op for people. Obviously we want to keep it in the Star Wars universe and stuff like that. But if you see like an action figure that scaled to the Star Wars figure and I won't, I don't think Avatar was, I think those were a bit bigger, but you know, if, if it looks kind of like, alienish that could be walking around in the background of the film that's like perfectly fine 
Strangely enough, the Na'vi look very much like one of the aliens from the second season of the Clone Wars micro-series, and they're about the right scale in that action figure line. Oh, well, there you go. Little customization could go a long way with that. You'd know a thing about that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and I think it'll, you know, from all of the past conventions, some people did customizations in the workshop, you know, of their figures and different things, or they would do, you know, like, I'm thinking of one of the favorite photo ops that uh, someone created at uh, Celebration 5. They did a ice cave, a wampa cave, and then they put the wampa, they painted him blue to look like Cookie Monster, and then they had him playing a Wii video game with Nyam Nyam on it. So, <laughs> you know, and people just love that. It's not really from the movie, but it's sort of like a wink and like it's different things that stand out and make people say like, oh, I want to take a picture of that, you know? I took a picture of that. I remember that. It was so cute. I love it. I love it. And it's, you know, it just goes to show you the imagination of the, you know, of how kids and, you know, their parents and stuff create. Because basically, if you tell them, build a Tatooine house, you know, you could tell them the, the basic plans, like do it to eight by eight building or whatnot. But not one building will look the same because everyone's imagination is different, you know. So with the customization, with the figures, we welcome that also. You know, if you have a custom figure that you want to send in and you're not afraid to, like, either give it away to someone or whatever, then feel free to send that in. We're not going to refuse any toys because we're not going to start saying, oh, this one doesn't look as nice as this one or whatnot. We're going to take anything and everything that the public is kind enough to send to us. Well, Frank, we know that there's a lot more to tell that you can't tell. We are very sympathetic to that right now. So we really want to implore our listeners this has always been one of the highlights for us at the past couple celebrations. We didn't know about it at C3 until it was too late. And at C4 and C5, visiting your workshops has always been a big, very high up on our list of things we do at Celebration at the beginning to see what it starts off as, and especially a last day event to see what has been built. And so I really hope our listeners are able to help you out. So send your figures to the workshop, and Frank, hopefully we can have you back on to talk more about Celebration when you're able to share a little bit more. Yeah, well, there's so many things that I can't wait to spill the beans. There's like so many details that are just going to blow people's minds. Uh, obviously, once Lucasfilm does the official diorama workshop announce, uh, we'll be able to spill all those details, and I'll be more than happy to come back and talk with you guys about that. I'm really happy that Lucasfilm allowed us today to talk about the Action Figure Fund. They know by now it's 10 years doing diorama workshops. They said that, you know, the surprise factor of fans no, seeing that there's another workshop is kind of low. Everyone expects it. It's kind of become a staple, I guess, of the conventions, if you want to think of it that way. And so they were kind enough, enough to let us talk about the action figure fund today for the figures and all the toys that we want to and need in donation. But for sure, we'll talk about more details uh, in the coming weeks, hopefully by the end of June. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about your website? You recently had a major redesign. I did. When I started designing for the new diorama workshop, I knew that we were going to have all these new pictures and stuff like that. And when I started Yum Yum's Universe, 
we didn't have all the social media that exists today, all the YouTubes, the Facebooks, and the, the Twitters, and all those things. And plus, if I remember, the cable internet didn't even exist back then. We had the old dial-up that took forever to open up, and so we had to have very small pictures and everything. And so with all of the HD stuff that's available now, I thought that it would be easier to just sort of like do a new website, kind of like a Yum Yum version 2 deluxe, kind of, if you want to call it that way, and start from scratch, then to go back and try to manipulate or upgrade the more than 10,000 pages that were at Yum Yum's over the last 12 years doing that. So Yum Yum remains an archive of all of these cool things that you could still find on it. But uh, Diorama Workshop is sort of like the new way where you can see like details that you couldn't see before on the old site because of the HD images available. And obviously, we're going to be pushing the same quality of blueprints and free decal downloads for the people to uh, get and the step-by-step instructions that they loved. We're bringing that back to dioramaworkshop.com. So I'm excited about, you know, the launch was very successful and the people seem to really like the new design and the simplicity of navigation and you know, so I'm really happy about that. Well, Frank, thank you for joining us, and we will be talking to you real soon. Yes, I can't wait. Thanks again to Frank for coming on the show, and you can find, again, all that information about the Figure Fund at his website, dioramaworkshop.com. We will have a direct link to that page from our homepage at swactionnews.com. In more Celebration news, the first 10 exclusive Celebration 6 art prints have been revealed. There's some neat ones in there, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking we may have to shop and buy some. And there's some familiar names like Jerry Vanderstelt and Tom Hodges. And Tom Hodges, i got to give him some real credit on his because he has this style that's very unique, kind of like Katie Cook and some of these other artists. I feel like his image this time has really kind of stretched what he's known for and given us a nice battle-damaged Darth Vader that reminds me a lot of the one from the Force Unleashed video game. Some of my favorites, it's probably no surprise that Duel of the Twi'leks is perhaps one that will adorn my wall because it has Darth Talon and Isla Sakura going at it. I really like Russell Walk's print, the Star Wars 1937. That's like an old B-movie. I love that. That one is very cool, and I like it because it uses some of those lesser-seen photographs. One thing I'm noticing with the art this time that I've personally not noticed before is more use of photograph. Mm -hmm. For example, at the very bottom of the page, Stephen Hayford's print is a photo of what appears to be action figures in a diorama, or very well photoshopped, just a bunch of stormtroopers having a break. As your wife, Arnie, I feel the need to point out that it does say it is action figures and custom-made dioramas. Right. That's what I'm saying is it's great in the way that it makes me feel like an artist because, I mean, the custom-made dioramas, there's no way I could do that. That I leave to Frank Diorio and his skilled talent. And yeah, I really, if I tried that, somebody would be like, oh, did your little kid make that? What I love about this one is it's also a giant landscape print. I have to have this one, but I have a feeling it's limited to 250 pieces. I really think it's going to go fast. I think all the action figure collectors who may not normally get into this kind of art are probably going to want this if they can find the wall space. I mean, it's two and a half feet long and a foot tall. Some very cool art, and this is just the first 10. 
So check that out. We'll again have a link to it from our homepage. And it also gives pricing and a little bit of information such as Tom Hodges will do a remark for all pre-ordered prints. There's 35 artists total, so we are just under a third of the way there. On to the store report for this week. We have hit again a number of Walmart's Targets and Toys R Us's. Oh my. And come up with? Well, I did find, finally, one of the Naboo Astromech sets at a Walmart, which ever since the clearance had been hard to find. Of course, the reason I'd find it at a Walmart, not marked down a penny. (laughs) And there's been no sign of the figures, and most of the Walmarts I go to are just so stocked once again. Their pegs are full. I hit one of the Super Walmarts that we go to occasionally this morning, and if there had been new figures, they would have had to just lay them down. They have just made the Star Wars section so small when it comes to the vintage area that I just don't see a place for it. And I don't know. I've come to the point where I'm a little bit accepting slash resigned to the fact that I'm just going to have to be ordering them by the case from now on if that's how I want to get my collection. And I'm lucky that I am a completist in that that is a way I'm able to do it. I know that I've talked to a lot of our listeners about the Brian's Toys One of Every Figure Club, and they go, I don't want one of every figure. I pick and choose. I have enough Han Solos. I have enough Luke Skywalkers. Mm -hmm. But I want the new figures or the severe upgrade figures. And how do I get those? Well, the sad answer is you either have to go to Amazon. And I find most collectors who pick and choose aren't carded collectors. So if Amazon dents your bubble a little bit, it won't dent your mood. Or there's eBay where prices are all over the map and... Really, shipping anything anymore is also just so expensive that if you can't buy by the lot, you really start getting hit. I had to mail a box. We returned a hat, and it was $8 to ship a hat. Yeah, shipping is crazy anymore. But, you know, I've been on Facebook and talking to people and reading the sites, and I think the key is to not get too doom and gloom about it. I mean, yeah, figures aren't showing up in the stores. Yeah, superheroes kind of are taking over all of the toy aisle. Batman has moved in. Mm-hmm. and it is, Batman's got a lot of toys. He has a lot of toys. Yeah. A hell of a lot of toys. Spider-Man, Batman, and Avengers are everywhere in Walmart, Target, and Toys R Us now. I They keep moving our Star Wars around, and you have to try to figure out where it is. Toys R Us still has a sizable selection of Star Wars. It's all stuff that's old, but it's a big section versus Walmart, where it's a few pegs at best. But I don't know. I just remain optimistic, and perhaps it's a Pollyanna attitude. I've been accused of having that in the past. (laughs) I'm just always so upbeat and jovial and optimistic, but I just think it's a good thing that the figures are still being made and that the internet enables us to get them, because back in 95, when I started collecting again, I couldn't go online and find these. I couldn't order them by the case. No, you couldn't. This is like a new thing with the internet. Some people never buy anything from stores. My very first eBay purchase ever came in 97, picking up the Fruit Loops Han Solo in Stormtrooper disguise figure that I had missed on. You know that one. I call him Fruity Han. He's a little too short for the rest of him. He's very short for a Stormtrooper. And that had come out before I had started picking up collecting again, back when I was thinking, oh, what would I do with toys? I don't know if I need them. Perhaps I heard Yoda once down that path forever will it dominate your destiny. Little did I know. <laughs> you have no idea. But when I couldn't find it and I was on a few internet boards in 96 and 
asking people, how could I possibly get one? They pointed me to this site I'd never heard of called eBay. And I had to mail someone a check. That's antiquated now, isn't it? Do we even have checks? I don't think so. And I recently got an anniversary notice from eBay telling me how long I'd been a member. And that made me feel really old. But it was Star Wars that got me into it. And I'm glad to be able to get the figures. And I'm glad that when people get their hands on the figures, they're happy with the figures. Our reviews of the figures have been mostly positive. There have been some problems like Naminor and his silly cloak or Isla Sakura and her silly cloak and mostly cloak issues. Cloaks are problematic and I mean it would be hard to show something that tiny perfect for every figure. But I can see where it gets frustrating. I mean there have been a lot of reports online this week about variants and Yakface reported one that I actually saw myself when we were at a Walmart. They've changed the name of one of the battle packs. It used to be Republic Troopers Battle Pack is now the Republic Clone Troopers Battle Pack. Fortunately, the figures are exactly the same. JediTempleArchives.com reported a couple others. One of their listeners reported in to talk about how the lightsaber construction Luke has a variant now with a different skin tone that may not look as good and I know a lot of people are saying it's hard enough to find any lightsaber construction, Luke, let alone now that there's a variant out there that looks a bit different. It has a lighter skin. I don't know. I kind of like the sandstorm skin. Why weren't these people tan on Tatooine? That's what I don't understand. There's all that sun. Yeah. You'd expect him to have some degree of tan. And then we were talking on previous shows about Kathaba. Well, the red band is going for a lot of money on eBay, and Jedi Temple Archives is kind of cautioning patience with that one because he will be shipping in future case assortments. But me, I kind of wonder if this is going to be a new era for Star Wars collectors because if you listen to Marvelicious Toys at MarveliciousToys.com, a podcast Marjorie and I do with Justin, talking about Marvel figure collecting, Marvel Universe, the toy line that Hasbro puts out, I think it would drive most Star Wars collectors' brains crazy because they live (laughs) by running changes and variants that will actually change up characters. And they show production models of variants that never make it out, like the blonde-haired Black Widow figure or the half-translucent semi-invisible Invisible Woman figure, and then they never make it to retail or they drip out and they cost $1,000 from some guy who got a production sample in China and that's the only way you're going to get it. They'll do mask on and mask off variants and it makes it impossible to order by the case. It makes it really a scavenger hunt for these figures. And if they start doing that with the Star Wars line with Kithaba and the red bands at a point where the only way you're really finding the figures anyway is if you order by the case, it's going to be even more frustrating. I think the face of collecting has changed because of the internet, which is obvious. However, I think with so many things, again, in the toy aisle competing for real estate, there's going to be things you are going to have to get on the internet. I don't think it's as simple as going into Walmart, Target, and Toys R Us anymore. I don't think you can do it. If you if you are one of every figure or if you want specific figures, I don't think you can do that anymore. Yeah. And I did get frustrated this week because I got an email from Entertainment Earth that was not a good one. I had ordered the Mandalorian Assault Transport Vehicle. It was very spotty. It had been released some up in Canada, stateside. 
I heard a couple reports of it, you know, just little chatter, as they call it, but I don't know nothing solid. But Entertainment Earth had put them up for order quite a while ago, and I was really happy about that, a chance to get it, and I was patient. Months passed, I was patient. I get a notice this week from Entertainment Earth, as did everybody who placed an order. They've been notified by the manufacturer they will not be receiving any additional shipments because they've discontinued production of the item at this point in time. Huh. This email came out last Friday, and within hours of it, the cheapest one on eBay was over $100. Oh. For a vehicle that has a $30 MSRP, I was looking at paying 40 per shipped at Entertainment Earth up to over 100 So? I think in this new era of collecting, I've just become far more calm about playing the long game. It's not like if I bought this Mandalorian Assault Transport that there's a hole on my shelf I needed to fill. There's a hole in my heart, but it can stay empty for quite some time. Well, keep in mind that this is all a knee-jerk reaction to that email. Mm-hmm. And, it, and as soon as people aren't paying that price for it, there's going to be a few people who are. Old Arnie would have. Yeah. Let's face it. Old Arnie's thought about it. I understand. But old Arnie would have instantly bought it as soon as he got the email, gone to eBay, boom, done it. New Arnie is going to kind of let it ride. I think that much like the wedge figure, any opener who paid a lot for a wedge and now seeing it, Entertainment Earth had wedge for less than $10 in a non-mint version. He keeps showing up on Amazon at reasonable prices. I feel that they went through the trouble of making the molds for this Mandalorian transport Anytime they have a mold, there's always a chance. It may take a couple of years, but there's always a chance of a re-release, which then will make the price of the original release come down considerably. It will always be higher as it is the original release, but once openers are able to get it in multiple ways, then only minted box collectors are paying those extra prices. So that was disheartening news, but... I just can't imagine they'd never make it again. We've got still many more years of Star Wars coming out of Hasbro. True. In some other online news, Sideshow has once again done its striptease of new products. You know what it always reminds me of? Have you ever seen the movie Major League? Yes, and the manager. The owner of the team. They take off pieces of her, a big poster of her as they win a game to reveal her in bra and panties underneath. That's what it reminds me of. Well, they have been doing that with their San Diego Comic-Con exclusives, and it is quite clear now that one of them is a Commander Fox 12-inch figure. Now, this is his Phase 1 armor, not the Phase 2 version, but from what they've revealed, which is, I'd say, 70% of the figure at this point, (laughs) it looks pretty cool, and he comes with a BFG. I love my gentle giant mini-bust of Commander Fox, and I really, from, again, what they've shown here... Looks like they've given him a real good paint job. So if you are subscribed to the Star Wars Action News new release newsletter or follow us on Facebook and Twitter, we will let you know as soon as this goes up for pre-order both for attendees and for non-attendees because I know there's going to be a lot of non-attendees who really want this figure to round out their ranks. Yeah, that's going to be a problem. They've also teased that they are finally doing a Chewbacca. And this has been something Sideshow has been asked to do since I've been following the line. When they were doing their premium formats back in 05, people have been asking them for Chewbacca. I've seen it asked in panels. I've seen it asked online. And the thing that they kept saying, and this is very good of them, is with the hair, they had to get it right. They had to figure it out. Yeah, because 
it's probably not easy to do. It's much easier to make a generic body and throw some clothes on it, whereas making something that's entirely hair. So I applaud them for that. Yeah, I think that that is far better a way to go and not going plastic or something. Mm -hmm. You know, you could have done the molded plastic thing. But that looks awful because if you have any articulation, it lays funny Mm -hmm. and it looks horrible. I, I hate that. But now the question I have is what scale? It almost seems too easy to say it's going to be one-sixth scale. They've been doing a lot of one-sixth scale. Chewbacca is a noticeable absence in their one-sixth scale line, but there is always the premium format. Hmm. And if the hair is really expensive to do, maybe premium format is a way for them to pilot it. Because all they're showing us is Chewbacca in this really funky, like, Time Magazine cover type word photo. Yeah, that's kind of odd, and I'm kind of curious what it's going to look like. Maybe they'll have it on display for us. They're also showing teases of an upcoming six-scale Darth Vader. Now, they're showing us the outfit in white, and I don't know if that means that it's just unpainted as of yet, or if they are finally gotten approval to do the white Vader from the Infinity's Return of the Jedi comic. Of course, this is all just, again, the tease. Everything will be revealed at Comic-Con or possibly before. Sideshow loves to not get lost in the deluge of news that comes out from Comic-Con when most companies choose to just show their wares on the floor. Sideshow likes to release the news a week ahead of time or so Mm -hmm. while they can get some attention and not be in a sea of shouts. Can't wait for their booth this year at Comic-Con, though. I think they're the ones I'm looking forward to most. I want to find out what's going on with that life-size haunted carbonite, too. Do you really? Or, come on. I want to know. You want to know. I want to know. Is the devil you know better than the devil you don't know? Exactly. Uh Uh-huh. Speaking of the devil, Hallmark. They're not the devil. How can you hate Hallmark? I'm just a little frustrated because this year at Hallmark, on the weekend of July 14th, they will have two limited Star Wars ornaments going up. Yes, but can I point out that I have fostered a relationship with the old ladies at the Hallmark store in two locations in our town, and they will hold the exclusive ornament for me. Oh, good. Yes. Because that weekend is San Diego Comic-Con, where they are having their exclusive ornament, which two years running has proven to be the hardest to get exclusive of the con. It is the hardest to get. Uh, Mostly because it's not offered online. No. You book once you get in, and you get in that line. and I can't run this year. No, you've got an injured foot. <gasps> oh, no. What am I going to do? It's all on you, baby. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. But that weekend, they've also revealed that their limited edition ornament that goes to all of their keepsake stores, but is the one that's hard to find if you don't get it that first weekend, Moma Nadan, Hammerhead himself. But do you really think that's going to be one? I guess the problem is with Hallmark, you're battling... Other Star Wars Hallmark ornament collectors, and then you're battling Hallmark ornament collectors, and that's the rub. There's no one else that just collects plastic toy figures. I have to have one of every three and three quarter inch action figure <laughs> in any line. No, but this makes it hard because you got to battle all the old ladies and other people with lots of cats. Well, if you can make good with the ladies at our Hallmark store, then we can pick it up the Monday after the con. You know what I did one time when it snowed real bad because I work right by a Hallmark store? I offered to scrape the ice off their cars, and ever since then, they've loved me. Well, that is very nice. Yeah. And you didn't do that in order to get in with no, them. No, no. I, they're just really nice ladies. I go down there and buy cards a lot or just look at their Star Wars stuff. I get coupons. They're very nice old people in there. And they are old. I think it'd be 70 to work there. And speaking of Comic-Con exclusives, Acme 
has revealed an exclusive character key. I kind of wondered if they were still doing their character keys because I hadn't heard of them or thought about them since last year's Comic-Con in the Darth Maul. I'll be honest, I haven't either. They have announced the character key that is a shared exclusive. It will be both at San Diego Comic-Con and Star Wars Celebration 6. And it's going OT for the OG. It's the Scout Trooper. Did you say OT for the OG? I did. All right. I like him. He's cute. I like the cartoony. That's what I like about these. However, how many do we have? And Uh, still no good plan for displaying them. Correct. But last year, because I had all the rest, I picked up that hideous, hideous Darth Maul, and I wasn't sure. I didn't pre-order it. We were at Comic-Con. We were walking past the Acme booth looking at their other prints. I impulse bought it because it would have been the one I didn't have. This year, I heard there was a key, and I went, ooh, I hope it's not as bad as the mall. I may pass if it's as bad as the mall. I love them. Oh, yeah, I like this one a lot. I also like that they're only doing it once a year right now, because like you said, how many do we have? How many do we need? How do you display them? Mm-hmm. I, I found the perfect frame, and then they quit making it. Yeah. So that's a huge problem, and I have to have consistency. So I'm kind of stuck. I'm just going to buy, like, 800 frames one time if I find the right frame. But I think it's good that they are continuing it it's a series that i really loved and when it started and then it kind of had its high moments and its low moments but if they just did one a year as an exclusive or even two a year i would be really happy with that output that seems right but it seems like we are getting a monthly for a while yeah and there were all kinds of exclusives and you know that kind of happened with the minibus too Mm -hmm. is it was just your is like the minibus to the month club and it is too much saturation. So I'm kind of glad there's a relaxed release schedule now. It makes it more special. In some online shopping news, while the Mandalorian transport may not be showing up at my local stores or Entertainment Earth or anywhere else in the foreseeable future, the MTT, this year's BF vehicle, is up for pre-order at Entertainment Earth. And Jedi Temple Archives has a reader in the Philippines who has one in hand. And you really should head to JediTempleArchives.com to look at all these detailed photos, the in-depth look. This thing is huge. And from what I'm reading, its box makes the vintage AT-AT look small. Oh, it was rather big. You can hear all of our thoughts on it if you go back to our Toy Fair episode earlier this year when we saw it in person and the molded together feet on the non-articulated battle droids but seeing it in person i'm still not a fan of the droids but i think that if you have a naboo battle scene this is something that will really enhance it now last week we talked about iphone cases and the ones that are coming out which was going to ensure as soon as i buy one that the new iphone will be announced so i was poking around on the internet and i wanted an iphone case because that is the surest way to make the new iphone be announced And I found this website called Society6.com, and they have a ton of Star Wars cases, and they're really cool. Arnie found one that was an AT-AT, an A-Team mashup. It's called the AT-AT A-Team, and it's really cool. It's an AT-AT with the stripe like the A-Team van. And if you don't call it an AT-AT, if you call it an AT-AT, it's the AT-AT A-Team. Mm-hmm. What's nice is you can get these things for a variety of... Of devices, you can get canvases, you can get prints, you can get iPhone and iPod skins, you can get laptop skins, you can get t-shirts and hoodies, and you can get regular iPhone cases of all this. They have some really neat designs. These are all done by artists, so they're unique, and I have never seen one of these before anywhere. 
In addition to being unique, I'm getting the strong impression they're unlicensed. Well, yes. But that doesn't mean they're not cool. And, all right, if you're heading to Celebration this year, you've got some pressure on. Because everybody's going to have the Star Wars ringtone, the Star Wars text message alert, the Star Wars iPhone case. If you want to be able to find your iPhone in a crowd, if you want to have something a little bit unusual, I think someplace like this or a custom skin you make yourself is the way to go. I like a lot of the designs on here. I'm not sure if I'm actually going to buy one. If I did, the ATATA team is probably up there. There's a Princess Leia mud flap that's actually nice and subdued that's kind of cool. How is it subdued? It's a trucker mud flap on your iPhone. But it's got the bikini on it. Yeah. And the braids. Yeah. There's some old-timey ones, like Chewbacca with a monocle looking basically like Colonel Mustard from the game Clue. Or Yoda and Ewok parent makes a... looks like a little gizmo. And there's even an R2-3PO to see what would happen if our two favorite droids had an offspring. So you can check out all of these at Society6.com. Marjorie, if you place an order, let me know. I may piggyback. I want to place an order, Arnie. I may piggyback. Okay. And finally, over at Brian's Toys, the Star Wars Action News sponsor, they are buying your toys and paying top dollar and giving free shipping on your first package. If you get trade-in values, they give an extra 25%. Right now, they're paying $5,000 if you have a vinyl cave Jawa. Wow. That's, that's, yeah. Obviously... All subjective to condition, but on their ad, they say 5000 for a Vinyl Cave Jawa. And if you want to trade in, you could use that for a 21-back AFA 85 Boba Fett. You could also order Vintage Wave 13 with Tarkin, Oddball, and Vader's Apprentice, and Wave 14 on those variant cards. And remember when checking out at Brian's Toys... Please remember to tell them you were referred to them by Star Wars Action News. Next up, we've got Brock, where he is going to review the book Scourge. This is Brock, Star Wars Action News Book Club Liaison, with a spoiler-free-as-possible review of Star Wars, Scourge, by Jeff Grubb. Review copy courtesy of Delray Books. Newly anointed Jedi Knight Toro Irana dies on the planet Makinte as he attempts to get information on a valuable underused trade route. The Jedi send in Mander Zuma, Jedi archivist and former master to Toro, to investigate. Mander quickly runs into Toro's pilot-for-hire sister, Reen Irana, and her co-pilot partner, Eddie Bure, who tells Mander that Toro wasn't killed by accident, but instead was murdered, and that he was hooked on a highly addictive spice named Tempest. Mander quickly finds himself in hut space, finding he will have to interact with some of these intergalactic gangsters to get his answers. Did Toro die to protect someone or something? Is Toro's death somehow connected to the Tempest trade? Why would anyone kill over coordinates to a trade route? The mystery unfolds in Star Wars Scourge. The story of Star Wars Scourge comes from a supplement to the Wizards of the Coast Star Wars role-playing game called Tempest Feud, published in 2002. One of the authors of that supplement has expanded this story to novel length, 
Jeff Grubb. Having not read any of the role-playing material since owning a second edition of the West End Game Star Wars role-playing game source book from the 90s, I am completely unfamiliar with Mr. Grubb's previous work. Grubb's prose is not unnecessarily complicated and easy to digest. The action is clear-cut, and some of the character work is top-notch. The mystery the book hinges on is serviceable, following the standard beats of the genre. He serves up plenty of suspects and motives and has a lead detective, in this case a Jedi archivist, out of his element attempting to solve this mystery utilizing his skill set in a different way than he is used to. While there certainly isn't a need to reinvent the genre, I felt the by-the-numbers quality perhaps more than intended. I do have to say, though, I was never once bored. I was able to follow who everyone was throughout, but never once did I fear for this Jedi's life or feel any real peril for his partners. Grubb does something on the acknowledgement page that I wish more authors would do. He makes sure to tell us when in the Star Wars timeline this book takes place. 19 years after the Battle of Yavin. Instead of me having to look it up on that long and increasingly smaller printed timeline included in every Del Rey Star Wars novel. He also tells us there that the story originally came from the role-playing game and ends the acknowledgments page with a joke. My kind of guy looking for a smile in a usually boring place. Why I like him dropping the year so clearly is because it really helps the novel to know this information. This Jedi being weak in his combat skills and practical force application makes sense 19 years after the Battle of Yavin. Not being entirely clear on this fact would make you question this guy for far too long in the book. 19 years after the Battle of Yavin is after the resurgence of the Jedi by Luke Skywalker's Jedi Academy, but not yet to the sheer numbers of powerful Jedi of the New Jedi Order and beyond. A fully trained and experienced Jedi Knight would probably cut through the mystery much faster, especially because the battles he faces could be over and done with in no time, and those he interacts with would have to go about their actions much differently. Scourge is reminiscent of the Coruscant Knights and more recent Shadow Games, as they all follow the same mystery structure, pitting a character into a real-world situation much bigger than he is probably ready for, trying to solve a mystery that he probably wouldn't ordinarily be involved in. Smartly, the book opens with the prologue of Toro Irana's murder and starts the book off terrifically. The prologue invested my curiosity on how a Jedi could be defeated this way. So as the plot and the secrets of the novel start to unfold, that curiosity serves me well as we get through all the introductions, the plot exposition, and then the beginning of the plot proper. As I said earlier, the main character of Scourge is Jedi archivist Mander Zuma, and the book rides heavily on this character. Like in any mystery or thriller, if you don't buy into the main character, it is going to be a long read for you. So when I first read the back cover of this book, I was like, so Jocasta New goes into the field, and why wouldn't I think that? A Jedi archivist? And his name being Mander, my mind was constantly playing tricks on me, thinking it read Master Zuma, as if this guy is a Jedi master. Perhaps you all won't have this happen to you, and what it really means is that Brock needs reading glasses, but really, I found it annoying. Where Zuma's experience as an archivist comes in handy is his ability to weigh in all the information he is given and not jump to too many conclusions, unlike Toro's sister, Rena. 
That doesn't mean he figures everything out right away. Of course not. But it does mean he isn't as quick to pop out a lightsaber or mind trick. When we do see his lackluster lightsaber skills at work in the first half of the book, I am glad the author didn't go to Jar Jar territory, having him be fumbling and comedic. As the book goes on, we see his skills improve as he faced with multiple battles. The passages I like the most with Mander were the ones with his inner struggle. Not only is he called out by Rena for his lackluster skills, he himself has serious doubts of his own abilities, and he reflects on whether he was the right choice to train Toro Irana in the first place. We go into Mander having regrets, reliving his memories of his own experiences training Toro, and picking them apart to understand how his Padawan ended up the way he did. As a parent, it is something I can completely empathize with. The character development sections are plentiful, and we get a nice unexpected character study, and actual growth as his confidence as a Jedi throughout the book is brought into play, and we watch him solve this mystery. As a plot machination, I had trouble completely buying into that this Jedi archivist would be sent by himself into the field to get an assessment on why Toro died. At this time in the Jedi Order, they were shorthanded, and as I said, Jedi at this time period were not what they were during the over-public times and not what they would be a few years later when the younger set moves up through their training. But it's still hard to completely go with because he's a Jedi archivist, which sounds to me like he's the kid when playing a pickup football game that you tell to go long. You follow me here? I can justify this all the way. I can go with it, sure. Yes, it does make sense that Luke Skywalker send him there as a grieving process to allow Mander to get a grasp on what happened firsthand on the death of his Padawan. And no doubt the Jedi didn't expect to find out the young Jedi was a victim of a premeditated murder, yet once that becomes apparent to Mander, no reinforcements were sent? Where's the backup? Send anyone the guy's an archivist. But to enjoy the book at all, you have to go with this murder she wrote, diagnosis murder, Matlock Jedi, putting together pieces that the authorities can't or won't. Mander's partner in this investigation is the sister of the dead Jedi, Rena Irana, who has come to the planet to get revenge on those who killed her brother. She is meant to fill in the Han Solo role of this book, as she is a pilot, former smuggler, and independent pilot for hire, who has worked with the Huts previously. Her street smarts are there to be a counterpoint to Mander's book smart, so together they would make a well-rounded team. I found her not to be all that memorable of a character. While we can all understand her feelings and need to find answers in her brother's murder, more often than not I found her to be a plot device rather than a likable character. A character I did like was Angela Crin, captain of the ship Resolute and lieutenant commander in the corporate sector authority. I like the way they played with her need to follow policy and how that was used to further the needs of the drug overlord and the Jedi alike. Using the corporate sector, which originated in the Brian Daly Han Solo series of novels from way back when, was a great idea and used to great effect. The author does something clever with the Huts in this book. We have seen Huts in EU over the years from the Clone Wars cartoon and video games to Kevin J. Anderson's Darksaber and Dark Horse comics and so on, and for the most part, they all seem to have the same M.O. and similar character traits that we get from Jabba the Hutt in the original trilogy, similar to how Rodians or Grands rarely are seen as benevolent creatures. Here in Scourge, the author gives us a variety of Hutt personalities. The classic behaviors and tropes are most certainly here, but we also get more sympathetic and, dare I say, trustworthy Huts. 
And the characters in the book, this universe, carry the same predisposition to huts that we the readers do, to the point where they are prejudiced against the whole species. And by calling out the common stereotypes associated with huts, Grubb is able to play off those conceptions to add mystery and some red herrings as to who is behind this plot, as well as utilizing it for character development and exposition, as the protagonists discuss their feelings on huts to one another. One hut character, Mika the Hut, is Force-sensitive. As a longtime Star Wars fan, we have seen all different kinds of species have Jedi abilities, some that stretch levels of credibility more than others based on what we know of those species. While I have to admit I'd never thought a hut could be Force-sensitive before, what Mr. Grubb does with this wrinkle works in this story. While both Coruscant Knights and Shadow Games have murder at the foundation of their stories, the murder mystery at the core of Scorch is fairly dark for a Star Wars novel because it involves drugs called Spice here in the Star Wars universe. Spice has been mentioned many times before in Star Wars. I remember as a kid reading some behind-the-scenes something or another that the shipment that Han Solo dumped that put him in the doghouse with Jabba the Hutt was Spice. Not sure if at the time they meant drugs or something as innocent as cinnamon, but the seven-year-old Brock certainly thought they meant cinnamon. The book gets into how addiction affects the users, how it affects their family, and those who care about them most. We see drug dealers, transactions, kingpins of the drug trade, and discussions of how drugs affect the body, mind, and souls of the users. The drug here, called Tempest, is highly addictive crystal-like drug that seems quite intense as drugs go. Drug addiction being so central to the plot is a bold move we do not often see in a Star Wars novel. I feel the author struck the right balance between highlighting the dangers and effects of the drug addiction without being too preachy or going down too dark a portrayal of the consequences. It is about time this topic was covered in Star Wars, and I like the way they did it. Star Wars Scourge is not a perfect novel. What makes me like Star Wars Scourge was how it all fit together. Individual elements that I question, like Force-sensitive huts and Jedi archivists, all coalesce into a quick, somewhat thought-provoking, satisfying read in a small, contained corner of the Star Wars universe. Mr. Grubb struck a good balance between action, character development, and the pace of the unfolding mystery. If more stories like Star Wars Scourge can be mined out of previously written material from the Star Wars role-playing game, then I applaud the idea. Let's do it more. I would wager there are a lot of fans out there who don't know the content of these books, and perhaps some who do know them would enjoy an expansion on the original idea. Star Wars Scourge gets a recommend from me. Check it out if you get the chance. For Star Wars Action News and the Star Wars Action News Book Club, this is Brock. Now back to Arnie and Marjorie. Thank you, Brock. I've got that book here. I have not yet read it, but I think after your review, I'm going to have to prioritize it. Is Brock your book taster? Like the king has a taster? Yes. <laughs> well, if Brock doesn't like it, we're not going to read it. And you'll be able to hear Brock joining us over at Now Playing pretty soon, where he, Stuart, and I are going to be reviewing all of the James Bond films leading up to Skyfall this year's James Bond's 50th anniversary. You can hear that at nowplayingpodcast.com. And before that, Jacob Stewart and I are doing all the Batman movies leading up to Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises. And starting this Tuesday, 
all the Spider-Man movies leading up to The Amazing Spider-Man. You can find all of that at nowplayingpodcast.com. Well, that's our show for this week. I just want to mention again Frank DiOrio's incredible dioramas that you're going to see at Celebration 6, but he needs some help, guys. He needs some action figures. He needs ships. If you've got spare or you really want to help with this project, they're taking money. They're taking action figures. The action figures can be loose. They do not need to be in the card. Actually, you can ship it cheaper if they're loose. We're hoping to pick up Sun, but you can find information on this at dioramaworkshop.com. We'll also have a link up for it. I think that if you are going to any of the cons, any of the Wizard Worlds or the local cons that are going on that have dealer tables, please keep Frank in mind. We are actually going to go to the Toy Man Toy Show. It's the weekend before San Diego Comic Con down in St. Louis. We usually go anyway. This time, I'm putting 50 bucks aside just for Frank's fun, and rather than PayPaling it to him, I'm going to go down there and see if I can turn that into a 100 Tatooine figures. That's a great idea because a lot of people will bargain, and you can pick up a lot of great stuff. He's looking for everything. And I think that I've been down there, and they have just those totes of loose figures that are in good enough condition for this Mm -hmm. purpose. They're by no means complete. They're by no means valuable. There are a lot of Power of the Force 2 stuff, but I bet in bulk I might be able to get them down to 50 cents a figure. That's my hope. He's looking for stuff from all six movies, so that could be Sand Troopers, Wookiees, Gungans. He even said EU is good, and if I do get 100 figures, I bought a few Iron Man figures originally thinking they'd be great background droids. He might need a binary load lifter that looks like Mark One armor. Exactly. So, and make sure to follow Frank on Twitter, Diorama Workshop. So thanks again to Frank for joining us. Thanks to Brock for the book review. And we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. You can find even more Star Wars coverage at our sister podcasts, Republic Forces Radio Network, where we review each episode of the Clone Wars cartoon series. You can find that show at republicforces.com. If you're into Star Wars novels, check out the Star Wars Action News Book Club, where we read and review all the Star Wars novels. That podcast is at swactionnews.com. We want your feedback and suggestions for Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at swactionnews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at swactionnews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can be on Star Wars Action News by calling our voicemail at 415-508-JEDI or sending an MP3 or iPhone voice memo to show at swactionnews.com. All materials submitted become the property of Star Wars Action News and are subject to use on our show. You can help support Star Wars Action News by using the affiliate links on our homepage when shopping online. We would also appreciate it if you spread the word about Star Wars Action News by posting about us on Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, or just tell a friend about the show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can also cast a vote for us each month at Podcast Alley. Links to both can be found on our homepage at SWActionNews.com. For more Star Wars collecting, please visit YakFace.com and JediTempleArchives.com, and we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. The Star Wars Action News team is website designed by Jason, associate produced and announcements by Brock, reporters Jerry, Dan, Steve, and Justin, graphic design by Chris, and podcast enhancement by Barrett. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. The show is created by fans showing their love of Star Wars. 
Star Wars and all the Star Wars universe contains is trademarked and copyright Lucasfilm Limited. All rights reserved. Until next time, may the pegs be stocked and the Force be with you. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting. Star Wars Action News is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved. When last we left Star... Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> all the action figures collectors who don't normally... Don't? What, don't? what is wrong with me? <laughs> but I was poking around because I was going to buy a new iPhone because I figured that was the quickest way to get one to come out. A new iPhone case, not a yeah. new iPhone. Oh. I hope our listeners are able to help you out and send finger, not fingers, and send. No, out. don't send us your fingers. <laughs> send us your figures, Star Wars toys and figures. Send your fingers to Marjorie and Arnie, not to Frank. No, don't send because me you fingers. Know you're no, saying this, you're saying this, and some person might be crazy enough to cut their finger off and send it to you in a box. Um, let's Marjorie, not. Marjorie's little own nine-fingered Da Vinci. <laughs> no, no. No, we don't want to encourage that, do we? <laughs>